Welcome to Around the Table. James tells us that no one can tame the tongue, yet we are supposed to keep it under a tight rein. As most of us can attest, that is a tall order, something reinforced by the Bible's description of our tongue as a fire, a world of iniquity, and an unruly evil. Today, listen to some wise advice on ways to bridle this dangerous part of our body. The power of the tongue. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Um, James 3.9. Boy, what a contrast. Um, greetings. I'm Dwayne Roki, and Bonnie and I serve the churches in Minneapolis and Belvedere, and praying that I can use my tongue um, to bless God here over the next 20 to 30 minutes with you, Brother Jay. Um, but first, introduce yourself and help us kick off the topic. Well, Brother Dwayne, you uh, really speak to the extremes of our emotional being. Which is, which is our reality. Uh, it's interesting. We in one moment can bless God. The next, next minute experience extreme opposite emotion toward our fellow man. Greetings. I am Jay Luthi, elder of the Lamont, Kansas Church. Along with my wife, Jane, we serve the, uh, we serve the Wichita and Lamar, Missouri churches. It is good to be with you, Brother Wayne. As Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpeneth iron, so man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I expect to be honed by you and your counsel and God's word this day. Yeah, I've often enjoyed that over the years since we interact together, Brother Jay. So when, when I think about the tongue, the book of James seems to be kind of in the forefront of our mind. Let's start with James one twenty six. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his own tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. What does it mean to bridle a tongue? And how does that tie to being, being religious? Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a great question. The, relig- the idea of being religious has a really, at least in my mind, a really negative connotation of just trying to have a, um, and I think if you go back in the Greek, the idea of being ceremonial um, so I've kind of just coming across as having an external view, but, you know, not really motivated from within. And so if I was to try to give you the impression, Jay, this morning that I was just really a righteous man, but later you would get wind that I was just cursing my employees left and right, you would probably call me out and say, you know, hey, what's, you know, this just doesn't seem to fit. But he uses the example here of, something at least I'm not overly familiar with, of, of bridling a tongue. And so um, from what I've picked up, um, it, it's the idea of, you know, the horse that has this bit and bridle in the mouth, um, that then as the master, you can guide and move the horse about. But I, I suspect maybe in your part of the country, you've got um, a lot more experience or at least observation of that than I would have here in town. Any, any Yeah, give, give me some your thoughts on the, the, the bridle piece. Well, for one thing, uh, I think Luke 6.45 says that for the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And really our tongue defines us, defines who we are. It is the essence of our being. You know, even in our days of unbelief, there were were those that we highly esteemed and and really observed their lives. And and they set a standard for us to... uh, Identify what truly a devoted life to God was. And yeah, as you mentioned there, 
in our region of the country, this uh, scripture has has a depth of meaning. For uh, in verse three, as it speaks of the bit, you know, for a tough-mouthed horse, often a bridle. I've heard where guys, cowboys, have used uh, even a wire, a barbed wire, to control the horse. Whereas a typical bit would be just a smooth rod, maybe with a loop in it, which isn't near as severe. And then in some cases where you've got a horse that's easily guided, they'll use what they call a hackamore. And uh, that doesn't even go in the mouth. It kind of fits over the lower part of the face, above the nose and above the mouth. And it's really just a loop around the, the face. So it's very, very gentle. So kind of three illustrations, and maybe how does that apply to me? Am I a tough, tough tongue person? Am I impulsive and spontaneous? Or am I aware of uh, how, I'm, how, I'm, how I'm coming off? There is an illustration I'd like to share. Uh, years ago, there was a cowboy that had a uh, was in a competitive event to rope a calf. And just before they release the calf to him, he reaches up and takes the bridle off the horse and hand it to a friend, handed it to a friend. So here you have a rider, a horse without a bridle, and a wild calf that he's supposed to rope. And the horse performed well to his expectations. Uh, the man was a man of humility. He thought that was how he was going to perform, and he did. And... Uh, I've just thought many a times, how would it be if we could be like that? Um, no bridle is needed, and yet you get a proper performance. For me, I struggle with a desire to get the last word in, and that overrides the effect of the bridle. And when the focus is to get the last word in, uh, the conversation continues to deteriorate. There's not much wisdom in that. Yeah, that's quite a contrast there in terms of the... I can't imagine um, God leading me around with a barbed, you know, <laughs> to try to control what it is that I speak. Clearly, I think he would like to be in the spot of the of that humble cowboy that's got such a relationship with his horse. So I really appreciate the example of the horse. Um, let's go a little bit further in James. I'd like to I'd like to really see what your thoughts are around in James three. Um, he uses the next analogy after, if I remember right, after he does the, the bridle, he goes to the ship. And uh, James 3, 4, and 5 says, Behold, also the ships, which are so great, are driven of a fierce wind. Yet are they turned about with a very small helm, with their sort of the governor listeth. And then he goes on to talk about the tongue being a little member of both those great things. I've only sailed once, so I don't have a lot of experience in this space either. Any thoughts about this idea of the ship, the helm, the governor, and, and how it connects with the tongue? Well, for me, I've spent very little time around a ship. Uh, but the visual is obvious, obvious, which, you know, a few pictures I've seen of ships in a, in a dry dock. But, as you, you know, as the bridle in comparison to the horse is small, so the helm or rudder as we know it is is very small compared to the massive size of the ship. And I think... Uh, it's my understanding that there's a process of determining the proper size of the rudder using the ship's longitudinal area of the ship's hull. Kind of an interesting formula, 
which I won't go into, but it does amaze me that such a small influence can have, uh, can have a tremendous effect in most conditions. No doubt many of us have used uh, our oar as we were in a canoe as a rudder. How have we used our tongue to guide or a conversation in an edifying way? Yeah, no, that's, that's, you, you, now maybe I have, I have been in that space, but just recently up in the boundary waters, you know, I was in a canoe with a, you know, relatively speaking, I think it was 17, 19 foot canoe with this little bitty 18 inch oar in the water. And dad had trained me well. Um, I guess I was a decent governor of that. I could get that canoe to go kind of precisely where I wanted it to go and take the shortest path across the lake. I might transition to that or compare that to some of the kids that I was trying to teach canoeing. They maybe weren't as good of a governor. Um, they had the same little oar, uh, but they took a much longer path across the lake as they kind of zigzagged um, back and forth. But I guess to your point, that's a very, really, really small oar uh, relative to the size of the canoe. And what comes to mind just as, as you talk there, uh, remember being in the Boundary Waters and actually a canoe, uh, pardon me, an oar got broke. And when you think of the proper size, the camper wasn't too happy that they had a, the oar was broke off. They didn't have much of a paddle, nor did they have much control ability with it as an oar. So, you know, you look at verse 4, it uses the example of the governor guiding the ship. You know, when the Lord becomes the governor of our lives, we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are able to yield to his guiding hand. And I go back to whithersoever the governor listeth. I like those words. It is to our benefit. It's to his honor and glory. And we are able then in moments of tension to fulfill or to apply Proverbs 15.1, using a soft answer to turn away wrath, or even further yet, 15.2, that the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. Again, using the tongue to guide the conversation in a in a God honoring way. Yeah, um, I think of the soft answer and how that turns. Maybe two examples I can I can think of. One one in a positive light and one not so much. Um, I can recall times in which there's a nice flowing conversation at potluck. And then Dwayne interjects his thought, and it and it just the, the the conversation goes silent. And I can tell that that insertion of the or the comment moved the conversation in an unappreciated or unhelpful way. Um, that really, um, yeah, would have been better if I would have just held on to that thought um, or brought it under the governance of the Holy Spirit. A second is I've been in some really tense situations at work. Maybe folks are talking politics and really. Uh, dismissing the the current leadership or previous leadership and to be able to just make a simple comment about well they'll give answer to God I'm sure someday as well and um, I'm I'm thankful that my role is really to pray for them but just some gentle uh, response also tends to turn that tense conversation in a in a really different and so just 10 15 words you know changes the whole tenor of the room but I think the key there is is really where the governance has come underneath which is which is good for me to continue to um, to think about. After that passage, though, uh, in James three, he he puts out a a section here that, for me at times in in, in thinking about it in the past has been really discouraging. I'd, I'd like to get your take on verses six through thirteen 
Um, and again, I want to read that and, and just, you probably know it by memory, but where it talks about the tongue, maybe I'll paraphrase it. The tongue is, you know, a world of iniquity. And so it defies the whole body. It sets on fire the whole course of nature. It, you know, every beast and birds and serpents, and they can all be tamed, but not the tongue. It's an unruly evil. It's a deadly poison. So I can read this in the tenor of, you know, just, this is just terrible. Um, and therefore we bless God and and this is where we start out with that verse at the front. We curse, or we could curse men, which are made after God. And he, you know, he says these things, brother, ought not to be. In contrast, the fountain that's not that's unable to bring forth um, both sweet and bitter water. So I can read that again with a tenor that there's just no hope that my tongue can be um, tamed. And there's just a message of no hope. And I, that can't be what James is teaching here. So how do you how do you Teacher, where do you go with this this passage uh, that doesn't just discourage the, um, yourself and others? Well, the truth of those six verse, verses can't be denied. And I think all of us have seen sometime or other the evidence of man's ability to tame animals. And yet we deal with this impulsive tongue. But I don't have an excuse because in spite of that truth, we look at Luke 18.27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And so I think James, as, as an apostle there, is giving the hope to us. If we look at verse 13, let me read it. It says, uh, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. To me, to be endued is to be clothed with or gifted with intelligence or knowledge, uh, just as we have a robe of Christ's weaving to cover our shame or nakedness, so knowledge, uh, godly knowledge, isn't anything to be ashamed of. In town, there was a business that had a glass countertop, and under that glass, he had a little quote that said, profanity is the effort of a weak mind trying to express itself. And once in a while, he would point that to a customer, point that out to them. So in reality, as God's people, we're all given a measure of intelligence that we might grow therein. And yet, if we look at the rest of the verse, let him show out of a good conversation. Conversation, we think of probably as speech, but, but really it's defined in Scripture as a course of manners and behavior. These things are external and can't be hidden. You know, when our works are graced with meekness of wisdom, knowledge is shared in the right way, probably at the right time. Any other thoughts on that passage? Yeah. Well, the, the first is, uh, I appreciated your, your example in town. It makes me uh, wonder at times uh, if I just did a better job of looking at the Bible verse um, that's beside me on the desk as somebody's in my office, it's a little excited if that would uh, be as effective as me saying something at times. Um, and so, I don't know, Just it's really thought-provoking to think about how it is that we might um, hold ourselves and others accountable to, um, to whether or not we're being governed um, is, is really, I think, where that businessman was trying to go at. Um, you know, when you and I were visiting a few weeks ago about this passage, I really struggled with these scriptures, so I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful to kind of see what you picked up. Um, I did, in wrestling through this, come back and find um, some, something in, in James 2.26. 
I think the context maybe for this passage is also around that um, the body without the spirit is dead. Um, so is faith without works is dead. And so I wonder if the bigger context is back to this idea that if, if we're not, if our lives aren't governed by the spirit, this, this just isn't going to work. And he's already teaching that bigger idea coming into this passage. Um, but just something I've been percolating around since our, since our last visit. That's a very good thought because as you speak, it makes me think that, uh, you know, faith is evident. I mean, there's visual evidence of, of faith in our lives, not only by our speech, but by, uh, by our actions. You know, as we look further in the word in uh, Colossians 4, 6, and let me, let me read this also. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So what, what are some of your thoughts about that scripture? How can we season or yeah, season our speech with grace by using salt? Yeah. My first, my first thought is uh, this is a great example of a concept in scripture that I was trying to teach at the general conference around the importance and primacy of scripture. We don't take this to be a, literally in a wooden sense that like, you know, I take my speech and I shake the salt shaker onto my tongue uh, before I speak. And then that allows my, me to be in a better place to be heard by everybody. Um, but obviously we would take this as some type of an analogy. So um, that, that's probably the first, the first thought I have is just to make sure that we, um, we recognize that this is an example of, of um, something other than wooden um, text. The idea of, of always is a continued duration. So I think he's trying to get us to think about that every time I speak, all the time I'm talking, he wants my, 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 my speaking to be um, seasoned with his influence, with his power, with his grace. And that's a continued duration. It never ends. So it isn't that today I talk with his influence and then tomorrow I, you know, I go just under the influence of my own thinking. Um, but something that he would want to be um, always happening. The, the idea of salt, though, I think is also interesting. Without that seasoning, it is unlikely that it will be appealing to the hearer. If I'm going to be ready to give an answer to every man, I need to know kind of how, who that individual is. So in you and I visiting this morning, uh, Brother Jay, I mean, I, I know you know the scriptures, right? So I, I can just make a reference to it and know that you're making the connection. But if I'm going to visit with an unbeliever here later this afternoon and I'm going to talk about some piece of scripture, I might stop and spend a whole lot more time putting some context around that uh, so that he would understand where my thinking and where my thought is coming. That's just different seasoning, um, I guess, is the way I think about that. And both can make that um, make that really pleasant. And then I have one other thought, and that's, you know, I, sometimes I hear this ex- expression of like, Oh, you know that, that your words it's just oh it's just it's music to my ears, you know, to be able to hear that. And so I, I can recognize when somebody else's speech is really well seasoned and, and really appreciate that. I think the question maybe I would have for you is is um how do I practically make sure that my speech is music to um others' ears uh, and isn't like a just a tinkling sound or a you know a blasting trumpet. Well, that can create quite a challenge, really, for all of us. You know, um, I don't know if I can answer quite your question, but uh, it is just being aware of it. And yet, uh, when you talk about salt, I mean, we understand that there's 
an abundance of salt such that uh, even the reserves have not even been calculated. And really, as God's people, shouldn't there be, abundant, the, be the abundance of his word within us to season our, our words as appropriate? Uh, sure, there's no limit to God's power, his grace, right? I mean, it's yeah, never been measured. Right. And so um, it does take me back to let him show out of a good conversation. I mean, it's the opportunity and example that we can, we can give and and as believers, we are to live the example of Christ who uh, did, as he did in his time, knew when to maybe speak, as you mentioned in one of our conversations about the, the tongue being the sword, to me, a, a time of maybe judgment, righteous judgment, or uh, otherwise. And yet the Lord knew in an appropriate time when to speak kind words, or maybe not to speak at all. One thing, we know salt brings out the flavors in our food that we so much enjoy. Have you ever experienced uh, putting salt on a watermelon? <laughs> Interesting you'd ask. That was, uh, Mom always salted her watermelon. And, uh, um, yeah, I've tried that trick on the kids, and uh, not, not all of them are watermelon fans, but it's amazing if they see me salting it, they think it's, it's they immediately have a negative connotation. But if I salt it ahead of time, it seems like they conclude that the watermelon is really sweet. And so they're, um, yeah, absolutely. I think it has, that's, that's a great analogy. I know there was a, a restaurant in a certain city that uh, the owner believed that salt needed a little sugar and sugar needed a little salt. I've even put some salt on applesauce kind of sometimes to help bring out a little bit of, of the flavor. Hmm. So again, as that, as an, uh, as an example, you know, how am I properly seasoning my words to bring out the good good in others? And yet another point we might hit on is that uh, salt can be very effective against uh, a fire. So does Proverbs 15.1 have an application here? So the idea is, yeah, you throw some salt on a fire and it, it extinguishes it. Um, there's probably a lot of analogies um, especially as we go back and if we were to study the way they used salt in the Middle Eastern times, you know, the times in which it was, it was written, of, there's just so many uses for salt in their day, some of which we no longer use. We probably miss quite a few analogies there. Well, we could probably talk for, well, we can talk for hours, Brother Jay. We've done that time and time again over the years. And so, uh, I mean, we haven't even covered topics this morning like using the tone of our tongue, the volume of our tongue. Um, I can get pretty excited and animated, you know, and so my volume goes up and how that can be encouraging or discouraging. So we haven't, we haven't really broached that topic. We haven't talked about like the whole idea of worship and song and praise and that intention uh, reminds me of Isaiah uh, 49, you know, that intent, how God made us in the beginning from the womb and intended us to use our tongues. Um, it's stated right out of the, out of the, out of the get go. So lots of topics we could probably, um, turn over, but uh, maybe we'll save that for the, um, the next time you're up our way. Um, certainly enjoyed um, the interaction of turning over some scriptures with you this morning and uh, feel challenged to lean into the Holy Spirit and, and allowing him to, whether it's bridle or govern or pilot uh, my entire life, uh, but just my tongue. Um, but yeah, been great to chat. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I would just acknowledge that, uh, you yeah, know, we didn't have time to get into some of the picturesque 
verses like Proverbs 25, 13, you know, when a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Uh, in my mind, that uh, is an easy, easy picture to, to see. It has been a blessing to me to review these scriptures with you. Uh, this topic has broadened my view and uh, really sets before me the expectations that God has for me in, in my life. And it's my prayer that the Lord will continue to speak to all of us. And again, for me, the challenge is going to be now in the application. Thanks for listening. Around the Table is available on AC Central and now also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Pocket Casts. It is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church.